Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Well, this was supposed to be a fuck it, we'll do it live. We'll do it live! Fuck it! And we spent hours and hours this morning figuring out how to get it set up. We did a test fire that plausibly seemed to work. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It was going great. It was one of those great things that worked in the lab, but when you got it out in the real world, yeah. it ended up destroying a city block. Yeah, it was like that time Steve Jobs threw an iPod at somebody from the stage at an Apple event because it didn't do what he wanted it to do. Fucking thing sucks! Real bummer. Bummer. I even made sure I put on a clean shirt. <laughs> you never do that. I know. You I... don't even do that for uh, for live shows. Usually don't wear a shirt at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that... What the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets, is there to do is to make our lives more complicated. And today, <laughs> it really worked. It's What it's there to do primarily is get in the way. Get in the way of a, of a show being made, which is, I mean, ask either of us while we're out on tour. The one thing that we like is being distracted by some bullshit yeah, when we're about like a, to do a show. Like if if we if we could get a technical problem that's like fifteen minutes before curtain, that would be great. <laughs> Who are we going to blame? I think it's important that we blame uh, a tech company for this, right? Well, so last time we did it, we used a thing where YouTube was tied into Google Hangouts, and it would just live. It, like it would use, I guess just the audio levels to decide who was talking and cut automatically back and forth from camera to camera. Yeah. And in their infinite wisdom, the Google company has discontinued that as an option. So I had to download different software, but we wanted to have both of us on screen. And most of the software that exists for live streaming people is on the idea that there will be one white guy with a neck beard you know, in in the lower left-hand corner of the screen and a video game taking up the rest of the frame. Mm-hmm. And none of it appears to be designed for the idea of having a couple of people on screen at once. And this being something that we realized we had to do this morning, I, I mean, I'm sure that there's a way to jury-rig it to work, but I just have never jury-rigged it before, so... Didn't work. It didn't work. And it's like, it can really fuck your your record up, you know, if you're like frustrated on on tech stuff yeah. going in. You know so. what, it, what I was just thinking, Ben, is that for all of the challenges that we've had on tech up until now, and I'm looking, we've... We, this is episode 278, and that does not count any <laughs> of our live shows, of which there are a couple of dozen. Yeah. Uh, we've gone undefeated in all that time. I think this was the first loss we've ever taken on tech. An idea we had didn't work, and tech was what did it. Yeah. We're more than 278 and 0. Yeah, we lost the belt. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was the, the match that lost us the belt. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> that really sucks. Oh, well. I, I I'm know. confident it's going to be a great show anyway. 
Yeah. Without us having to look at each other during. One fringe benefit is that I don't have to look at video of you while <laughs> this is going on. We should, so here's what I'm going to propose. Uh, nuke the fuck it, we'll do it live square. Whoa. Turn it into something else. What should Scorched it be? Scorched earth. Yeah. God yeah. damn. It should just be a crater. Fucking A. <laughs> what happens if we hit the crater? Change the head to a head wound and, and just a, a puddle. Wow. I don't have any ideas for what it could be instead, yeah. but it should be something. I feel like if we walk away from this conversation not doing it, the problem is people will send us ideas. <laughs> oh, we don't want that. We do not want. We should avoid that at all costs. <laughs> Just posting that we were going to be doing this live stream, I would say like half a dozen people tweeted at me, why aren't you doing it on Twitch? Yeah. Is is this the answer? No, because you have to use the same stupid software to make Twitch work. Yeah. It wasn't YouTube.com that was the problem. It was, it was that YouTube.com dropped a feature. God, we're gonna get so much mail. Listen, fucking suck. It, listen, if you have a neck beard and you feel like this is a good time to send an email, just don't. <laughs> ben, I don't want to pile on, but there was <laughs> something that I wanted to talk about during our Marin Open, and I and I want to talk about it before too much time goes by. I want to. I I have a feeling that this is going to be another one of my failures that you want to <laughs> talk about. <laughs> I no, I want to I want to be gentle and encouraging. <laughs> in this but there was a story so we recorded an episode of greatest discovery from star trek las vegas and that was super fun we did it with jk woodward and yeah. uh that episode has by the time this episode comes out will have been out for quite a while yes uh the problem with that is that there was still a good day left at at and around star trek las vegas that we couldn't possibly uh discuss because it hadn't happened yet yeah. And something happened toward the end of that day that I would like to interrogate with you. So <laughs> uh, I made some mistakes. I, I'm just going to say that right now. Uh, I, <laughs> we, I think one of the reasons that you and I travel so well is because we are of the understanding that, uh, that there is travel hygiene to pay attention to. And one of the areas of that is making sure that we were, we're not late going to the airport and, yeah. and, uh, I think the both of us are of the same mind about this. And we both have wives that are of opposite minds about it. Yeah. That are like, get to the airport when you get there. Right. It'll be fine. Yeah. Neither of like, us are like that. No. Like, my my thing is, like, I I would be much happier sitting around on the other side of security for an extra hour to get, you know, to get to the airport and know that, like, almost no matter what, I'm going to get on my flight. Yeah. So... If there is a crazy situation at TSA, it's fine. It's not an emergency. It's not. We're not going to have to ask people to let us cut them because we're at the airport late. Right. That's not us. Right. What unfortunately was me at the time was that I decided to play craps before leaving for the airport and chose the half an hour before our lobby call time as the time to begin. <laughs> Oh, man, you play that game, don't you? And <laughs> rolled as hot as I ever have in my entire life, which really put us in a pickle. Do you, th do you think that those two things are related? Like the fact that there was a ton of schedule pressure on you made your roles better? I have no idea. Uh, it was 
It was me and good friend of the show, Grant, at the craps table, and it was you and friend of the show, Bill Tilly, hanging back watching this happen. Dispassionately yeah. watching, I should say. Yeah. Bill Bill was drinking a, a hoof. He, yeah. He had a hoof drink going. Uh-huh. My, my hoof had already been rinsed out and put in my backpack. I am rolling and looking at my watch. And rolling at looking at and looking yeah, at my watch. Yeah, I think I was looking at my watch and you were rolling. You could buy yourself another suit with this roll. Uh, and then from behind me, I started to hear uh, call time plus three. <laughs> call time plus five. <laughs> call time plus seven. <laughs> and here's the thing, like. I I had not rolled my point yet, so I'm rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling, and all I want to do is hit the point so I can leave because all of my money is out on the table. Yeah. And so I finally got the point. Eight, easy, easy eight. Five and a three, it's a front-line winner. Damn. I did very well in that moment. I was very excited. I showed a display of emotion that, uh, in retrospect, was embarrassing and, and at the time was deeply confusing to Ben because I believe I hugged him. <laughs> yeah, you hugged me. <laughs> I don't think I've th- ever hugged you. I think you hugged me, and I, I, I had, like, abandoned all hope at this point, and wow. I was like, "Am I getting hugged because we're leaving now?" Yeah. And then I, re- and and mid hug, I realized there's no way that's what that means. Yeah. Uh, the the hug was it's over, and we ended up on the winning side. So, for all of that. I ended up getting us to the airport right in time to board, and that is not how we do it. You were flying to Seattle, and I was flying back to L.A., but our our flights were leaving, like, within five minutes of each other. And at neighboring gates. Gates were right next to each other. Yeah. So uh, we get to our gates. We say our goodbyes. I'm waiting for my board time. Ben's waiting for his board time. And then I get a text. Ben, what did the text say? Uh, I believe it said, Frakes is in my boarding area. At this point, time just kind of stops once again. Can you remember the tallest man you've ever seen? Uh, Because of your diamond butt plug status. (laughs) And because of the assumed diamond butt plug status that a Jonathan Frakes would have. You're right. It's fact. We have now entered into a sort of lottery ticket mode. Uh, Ben holding such a ticket. What if he gets sat next to Jonathan Frakes? Yeah, I mean, it was really exciting just to see him. I mean, we'd been at the Star Trek convention and I'd seen him on the floor and I'd seen him up on the stage, but yeah. like seeing him in a civilian context is pretty is pretty exciting. And yeah. uh you know, like that's Commander Riker. Like that's the man right there. You're right again. It was like a I also got like a crazy bifurcated starstruckness, mm. which was that uh as I started walking down the jet bridge, I realized that uh Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out was also on the jet bridge with me. <laughs> ben, you know what that means is if the plane went down, you wouldn't even be a footnote in, in no. the article. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even make the obit. <laughs> you know, my, my my wife might have popped a bottle of champagne. There, there would have been some celebration in some quarters. But... Ben, I'll tell you this. I would have been you. I shall abend you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you would abend me uh-huh. to the Delta Airline Corporation. I mean, let's be honest. I'd probably still fly Delta. <laughs> I mean, they're the they're the best yeah, of what's out there. You're pot committed at this point, right? Uh, <laughs> Does your status transfer to a next of kin in that situation? 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you can put your status in your estate plan. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, I just want to say that uh, I would appreciate that if that were something you'd be able to do. Hmm. I was, I did get the upgrade. So I was in the first class section for the like 40 minute flight back to LA. And I found my seat in a row across from Daniel Kaluuya, which was, it was very fun to watch like all of the young women come aboard the plane and notice him and get like flushed and, wow. uh, and distracted. Cause he is like, he is a really devastatingly handsome man. And but it, nope, nobody was really bothering him or, or like trying to talk to him. I saw, I saw maybe one or two people stop and just kind of like whisper, like big fan of your work. Uh, I think Frakes is a little bit like, despite being a very, like, I mean, he's a tall man and, mm-hmm. and, but, but he's, I think with the beard and like wearing a flannel shirt instead of a Starfleet uniform, he maybe doesn't stand out as much and isn't quite the like, the idol that Kaluuya is right now. It's a horrible thing to say to a man. He's an idol to me, Ben. Yeah. And to me. And I was like, you know, I was hoping to walk up and say something to him. Did he get into his first class seat by, by swinging his leg over the top? <laughs> uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't actually watch him get into his seat because he, uh, he was on the plane quite a bit ahead of me. But How often in first class do people order hot tea around Daniel Kaluuya and then just like <laughs> stir it <laughs> as loud as they can? That must be so annoying. Yeah. I just, uh, I leaned over to him and said, I would have voted for him a third time. <laughs> so you're set up uh, across rows. So not not next to, but in like the two and two configuration, you're like that, yeah? Yeah. And then the last person to board in the first class section was my seat neighbor. And when he got on the plane, I was like in the last row of first class mm-hmm. and he got on the plane and started asking a bunch of people if they would trade seats with him because he had a friend in another seat that he wanted to sit next to. And I think that who he asked was Frakes. I didn't realize this at the time. I saw him ask, like, like asking people if they would trade with him. But then he got back to me and he asked me if I would trade seats with his friend. And I said, is it an aisle seat? And he said, yes. And I said, okay. And I get up and I make eye contact with the friend and I realize that the friend was sitting next to Frakes. Oh, <laughs> so, shit. So, I, like, in my mind, this is basically torpedoed a non-creepy me saying hello to Frakes. Because if Frakes wasn't paying attention, he could just as easily assume that you wanted to trade seats to be next to him. You were correct. Precisement. Fuck. And so I sat there next to, you know, an acting and directing hero of mine. A superstar. A superstar. And I'm very conscious of the fact that he's just been at this convention. And like, it is possible for people to get wrung out by being at a thing like that where almost everybody there would like a piece of them. Yeah. And so I just didn't want to, like, I, I felt like I wanted to find an opportunity to say something when we were on the ground and he had an exit yeah, to go to so that it didn't feel like, and I was on the aisle, you know, I was like in between him and. Yeah. You were blocking his exit. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't want to do the big fan in that context. I just didn't feel like it was appropriate. And he seemed to be busy he was like watching episodes of television and uh in a way that looked to me like he was like familiarizing himself with something 
Oh, he wasn't watching Picard screeners? No. He didn't. Hey, you mind no. if I uh, just put my headphone splitter in here? And uh... <laughs> The other thing that was weird was I was like dicking around on my phone on the flight and I didn't want to open anything that had like a bunch of Star Trek imagery in it. Oh. Because I I knew that if he saw that, then he would make me for the creep that I felt like I could be potentially. A similar story occurred in the state of New Jersey about 20 years ago. And so I was like, all right, it's New York Times crossword puzzle. That is the only app I can have open. Like, even Twitter is too risky. I want to say for our greater listenership that I was encouraging to the point <laughs> of annoying in I just I would not let it go I, yeah. <laughs> I I went so far as to give you a fucking line reading about what to say to him like that's how fucking assholey I was about this because I really thought it was a now or never situation it it might not be there might be other opportunities but I just feel like I felt at the time and the factors that you've described are are mitigating and understandable, and I totally get it. Uh, I hope it's not your last opportunity. I hope so too. I really believe it won't be because I think we've decided that the that the Star Trek convention is going to be a part of our our year going forward. Something we want to try and yeah. make happen uh, on a regular basis, and I think uh, I think there will be other other chances. I mean, we had that great interview with Anson Mount on the Greatest Discovery, which I think will probably be out by the time this is out. Yeah. And like that just landed in our laps because Rob went and asked for it. And I think that that like we could have experiences like that plenty of times. I think the lesson here is that uh, Rob probably should have sat next to Jonathan Frakes. You were right. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Ben, I was upset with you at the time. I hope you don't believe I'm uh, truly upset with you now. And I'm even less so after hearing... Uh, what was going through your head, but man, what a, what a fucking thing, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) kind of a lot's going through my head about it. I, I'm sad at saying it's a missed opportunity assigns blame in a way that I don't intend, but like generally it's, it's like a missed opportunity, you know? Yeah. Fuck. What did he smell like? Uh, neutral. Did not smell him. What did he eat and drink? Uh, only water. Did not accept a, a beverage when it was offered. Did not accept any of the snacks that were offered. Was he a get up in the middle of a 40 minute flight to go pee? No, but I sure was. And Daniel Kaluuya was. I was in front of Daniel Kaluuya in line for the bathroom. I'm closing my eyes and I'm I'm putting my hands in front of me like in, in prayer, Ben, when I ask the final question. <laughs> Is Jonathan Frakes a seat recliner? No. God, thank God. <laughs> Did not recline. There's there is especially no need to recline in first. Give me a fucking no. break about that. <laughs> but it's also less of a crime in first because usually you have a lot more room in front of you. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, one last harrowing story from Star Trek Las Vegas <laughs> this year. I hope... I hope we uh, add to the collection at Star Trek Las Vegas 2020. Yeah, me too. Thank you for sharing your pain with me. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get into the episode, Adam? Yeah, I really do. It's uh, Deep Space Nine, Season 5, Episode 4, Nor the Battle, to the Strong. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of 
course you don't. Heading back from a conference with Jake and Bashir, Adam. Never a good sign. No, this uh, classic opener, because this is a classic way to get into trouble. And uh, th- this is Jake kind of on assignment as a, uh, he's, I guess, writing like a New Yorker profile of the brilliant doctor. If there's any crew person that would be more game to have a writer tag along with them and like just <laughs> write of their adventures, like this Bashir-Jake pairing is kind of perfect. I think most other people would be annoyed by the idea of a cub reporter following them around, but this seems like it's perfect. Jake is also like we're in his head a little bit in this scene in the like in the like slightly echo affected like sitcom way of of listening to somebody's thoughts. Yeah. If I don't find a way to get out of doing this article, my first writing assignment is going to be my last. It was pretty jarring to me. How did that go for you? The more I think about it, the less I think it was a great choice. Because like, Sirach Lofton is telling us everything that his inner monologue is saying. Yeah. Just in his facial expressions, you know? We can see that he doesn't understand any of the techno babble Bashir is spouting off. We can see how obnoxious and up, up his own ass Jake thinks Bashir is just in the way the, the performance is done. Everything that's ever drilled into your head in film studies or film production is like show and not tell. And whenever we go to this Jake voiceover, it is show and tell and and tell a little more. Yeah. It's weird. They get a distress signal from a Federation colony that the Klingons are attacking. And uh, specifically, this colony needs medical aid. And uh, Bashir is like kind of hesitant at first, but Jake is really riding for the danger. I can handle myself. I'm a Cisco. And I, I think very deftly kind of plays to Bashir's ego to convince him that this is the thing to do. Jake feels excited about the prospect of being a sort of war correspondent. Yeah. And this is a type of character that we've run into a couple of times on our hit podcast, Friendly Fire. But Jake is young, and Bashir is reluctant to bring him into this thing. And also... I mean, I think we're starting to get a greater understanding about just what Starfleet protocol is in these circumstances. It's a lot like being out on the water. Like when someone has a distress call, you go regardless of your situation, even if you're in a... Like, basically, Jake and Bashir are in a party barge right now, and they're they're like going on a rescue mission. Yeah, we've seen the runabouts in combat a couple of times, and I was kind of surprised at how much it is treated just as a minivan in this episode right because once they're at the planet it sort of becomes a non-factor yeah and so uh jake twists bashir's arm into theme song we've got uh, a little mclaughlin group issue one in ops that is uh, centered around the urgent topic of how are we going to get kira drinking decaffeinated Ractagenos. Is Ops really the place to do your cupping? (laughs) I don't think so. It does seem like a thing that would happen in the bar. Right? This is one of these like DS9 scenes in an episode that's really about two characters that it's going to spend most of the time with. Like, let's get all of the characters that we didn't really write parts for in this episode into one scene together and get them out of the way so that it makes sense that they're names play during the credit sequence 
Yeah, nice half-day shoot for most of the cast. This is uh, also a big missed opportunity because the drink is gross. I did the best I could. Kira says it's gross. Oh, that's awful. O'Brien says it's gross. Let me taste it. Quark. Worf is standing right there. Give Worf the drink to say it's great. Delicious. Yeah. Come on. That's what Worf is for. (laughs) Worf loves gross things. He loves it. (laughs) (laughs) That's, yeah, that's a great point. The issue is that Kira drinks a couple of cups of coffee every day, and Miles has decided that that's not good for his unborn child. I know that pregnant women often knock it off with, like, certain types of fish and they don't drink. Is is coffee something that you don't drink when you're pregnant also? Of all of the things that a pregnant woman would have to sacrifice, that seems like one of the most difficult ones, if true. Yeah. Huge if true. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a weird and gross scene. Like, when they're talking about this, Dax makes the case like, hey, you know, like, it's her her body like it's up to her and all the all the dudes just kind of like are like yeah but property rights and the baby's like renting that space and it's like they get the last word in and that's what they end with is is basically treating Kira like she's an apartment building to be clear this is quark's line of dialogue about a womb being a rental yeah but i think that Worf, odo and o'brien agree with quark Regardless of how fucked up it is to have those feelings about pregnant women, it colors a lot of Ferengi culture in a very short amount of time. It does. Uh, I thought it was totally in keeping with with everything we know about Ferengi or Ferenginar. Like, yeah. and, and in that way, I was totally for it. Like, yes, that is obviously what Quark would think and say. Right. Well, uh, to be charitable to the other gentlemen in this scene, perhaps they don't get to respond because this is when Cisco walks in and uh, tells everybody about what's going on with Jake and Bashir. Something wrong, Captain. Hard for him to know exactly what's going on with Bashir and Jake throughout this episode. Yeah. And uh, all he knows at this point is that uh, they're too far away to get to in less than three days. And so... Uh, the Farragut has been dispatched to the planet to pick them up. and I feel like we saw the Farragut in an episode of TNG, didn't we? Ben, you saw the Farragut at the end of Star Trek Generations. It was the ship dispatched to Viridian 3 oh, damn. to pick up the survivors of the Enterprise-D. Wow. It's a Del Sol-class starship. Good call. Yeah. I guess, yeah, the, the, those Del Souls are like the kind of weapons platform version of the Galaxy class. So, yeah. Uh, that makes sense that they would be putting it into the war zone. The 24th century Del Sol is sort of a great rig. I like Pretty it. Pretty rugged. Yeah, so they, I mean, the Farragut is a day and a half away from this planet, and the little D is three days at best speed from this little planet. So they are going to leave things to the Farragut. But, I mean, I don't obviously know all of the context, but it seems weird that the little D is just keep, they're just keeping it parked during this right. conflict with the Klingons. I mean, Sulu would attempt to fly her apart getting her to this planet. Right. Yeah, like Sulu on, on his way to Agilon would be like, your best speed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if the ship explodes. <laughs> 
increase power to the structural integrity field. <laughs> I don't care if every cup of tea falls to the ground. You've got a problem with that, mister? <laughs> <laughs> we say this all the time. The disuse of the little d makes no sense. Yeah, especially in a, in a war thing. Yeah, it feels like production wagging the story, dog. I guess if you're just worried that the Jem'Hadar could come through that wormhole at any time, like you need something with some teeth there. I don't know, man. You need another little D. You need to have a Klingon amount of little Ds at Deep Space Nine, which means two. Yeah. You get, you get two of them, you get one for your conferences and one to hang back in the cut. Yeah. We can agree on that. Jake and Bashir uh, get down to this planet, and it's kind of a makeshift hospital that has been set up in some Star Trek caves. Yeah. The actual settlements have been bombarded, so they needed to kind of move everything into safe space. And it's a very, like, chaotic scene. There's lots of, uh, you know, gurneys with bloody soldiers being moved around. Uh, You know, Bashir makes himself known as a physician and uh, is, like, in the fray, helping triage people really quick. And Jake initially is just kind of, like, stunned at what he's walked into. I gotta get a grip. They beam into a hospital procedural television show. (laughs) And this is a visual theme that will play out for the rest of this episode. It's really complex when you have foreground and background actors moving, and they're, they're like, carrying people often or stretching them around. And so you have actors acting in every inch of the frame it's a really difficult task to pull off and you get it i feel like for half of this episode i think they do a great job of with jake of giving that feeling that kind of anywhere he stands he's in the way yeah and uh you know having experienced that and and then like imagining that it's kind of a life or death thing that you're in the way yeah really makes this scene feel super intense you know they do a good job in beginning macro and racking it into micro with what's happening like like the scope of the problem is fairly large there are a lot of bodies to process and try to fix up but it is a man with a foot injury that i feel like is one of the first characters we get to know among the wounded this guy comes in and he's in like federation hockey pads right and uh he should, he should probably not be fighting crime because of that we're trying to help you i don't need help yeah his gym bag smells really awful he has a bad foot injury and he says that he he was shot by a disruptor in the foot this is something that bashir is able to dispute almost immediately with the help of a scanner this is a phaser button and upon learning that this was an injury that foot guy gave to himself like the look of disgust on Bashir's face is pronounced yeah it seems like kind of on the fly lowers the priority of getting this guy back on his feet right yeah yeah he like walks away and says we'll we'll get to you eventually (laughs) this guy I read and this scene was a last moment add-in they came up three minutes short on the episode and they needed to add a scene Wow. And this scene is so important, I think, in the episode. I can't imagine the episode yeah. without it. It's like the dude's rug. Yeah. Ties the room together. Yeah. And this guy appears later on uh, a few times and his foot injury is, is regarded. But uh, without this initial scene, I think all of the ones that follow are a little less interesting or important. 
Yeah. Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So. So Jake pops in as a field-promoted nurse's aide. He's running around, uh, stretching people and doing what he can in triage. And uh, the passage of time montages here are are pretty fun. Like, like yeah. you, you can tell time goes on because they're getting more and more bedraggled and <laughs> dirty and like covered There's in gore and stuff. More blood on their on their weird hospital scrubs. Jake hasn't been this dirty since he had to work that double at Cisco's <laughs> restaurant. Um, yeah, but he's also like writing when he gets a, yeah. gets a moment. So it's like he's really gone gonzo with his with his write up of Bashir. Yeah, there's some pretty heavy moments in here. Like they show like a room full of body bags, yeah. which is probably like the biggest pile of bodies since that episode where Dr. Crusher imagined that they were all sitting up in their morgue beds. Go away. You know, there are two different tastes that taste the same kind of horrible. In that Dr. Crusher episode, like, the nice, neat rows of body bags are a kind of horror. Yeah. But in this scene, when they're, like, stacked up like cordwood up against a rock face in a cave, it is a totally different flavor to that same dish it is yeah pretty rough but uh it seems like they get through it and they're really bonding like eventually Bashir and the other two doctors are like chilling against a a bulkhead catching a, a couple of moments off their feet adam did you clock this bullion i mean i clocked him but is there something interesting about him that's the guy that played francis buxton in peewee's big adventure shut the fuck up really party's over so soon? Today is my birthday, and my father said I can have anything I want. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You believe me, don't you, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, they did have... They, they actually... Once they added that three minutes with the soldier, the uh, episode started to run long, and they had to cut the scene where he chewed the fruit gum and it <laughs> made all the black goo come out of his mouth. <laughs> That's great. Really fun to see that guy. Did you clock him through the bullion makeup, or did you look I, him up? I did. I, I wasn't. Sh- I wasn't sure, but I. I was like, I think that's Francis Buxton under there, and I looked it up <laughs> and found found that it was confirmed. Great get, Ben. That was Mar- awesome. Mar- Mark Holton. <laughs> Does he have yeah, a Star Trek career? Like, is he in a ton of things? Uh, I'm look him up. Doesn't look like it. Uh, This scene is really interesting and good to me because it feels like any other really hard job. Once it's over and there's nothing left to do, you just kind of collapse. Yeah. And you're a real person again. Yeah, you're letting your your circuits cool down almost. Back on DS9, uh, Odo and Sisko are discussing the arrest of of a Dabo cheat in Sisko's office. And... uh, it feels like one of those conversations where uh, Odo's really put at a disadvantage because Cisco has heard a story, only he wants to hear Odo tell it. Yeah, no kidding. I want to hear your version, Odo. <laughs> it's Odo's a little bit embarrassed, too. Yeah. I mean, th- this is not necessarily the, the kindest way to talk to one of your subordinates about an injury they sustained on the job. It sucks. Like, Odo's used to sliding over the hood of a car and looking awesome as he busts crime, and he uh, he fucked himself up. His human body is weak compared to the goo that he once was. What happened? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is spongy and bruised. Well, and he's also, like, he's still got all these instincts of, I'm going to turn into a bird and yeah. catch these motherfuckers. Yeah. And 
it's such a great little character detail that it's taking him some time to adapt to solidity. Do you want to see it though, Ben? I want to see Odo jump from a <laughs> from a railing and like flap his arms like, and then like <laughs> and then like fall out of frame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that poor guy. Yeah. But the story kind of reminds Cisco of Jake in that this fragility of a human body suddenly puts puts Jake's circumstance into sharper focus for right. Ben Cisco. Ben Cisco uh, cannot help but compare this back to the danger that his son and Dr. Bashir are in. And it really kind of like bums the hangout. And Odo's like, you know, like there's nothing you can do, so why not just not worry? Which uh, is a lovely suggestion that I wish worked. <laughs> but but that's like one of his not fully understanding what it is to be human yet yeah. things. And they're talking about this and then Dax runs in and uh, with the awful news that the Farragut has been destroyed. RSVP the Farragut. It was wrecked at the Lombada cluster, so I guess it was thrusted to death. <laughs> the forbidden cluster, Ben. Oh, man. I hate that we lost the Farragut. It's not right. I do too, but I feel like it adds some import to it that it's a ship that we know. It feels like a rarity that the Klingons, you know, score a point like that. Like the destruction of a Federation ship by a Klingon vessel seems like an escalation, even though yeah. it probably isn't, even though it probably happens all the time in this conflict. But wow, that's tough. Back in the caves, we're still in that refractory period uh, of all of that trauma hospital set up, and, uh, and we're in kind of a commissary scene. And everyone thinks that they're back to normal, including Jake. Until Jake attempts to uh, cut into a chicken thigh on top of a rice pilaf <laughs> situation, and uh, it makes him real sick. The thought that's of it some does. of the most normal food that we've seen in the history of Star Trek, and yeah. that's what makes him have to pop. Do you think that's what an MRE is in Star Trek? It's normal food, and then like, <laughs> and then like all future food is like all the the oddly colored, fucked up, yeah, sci-fi shit, right. You and uh, MREs, you can't Riker into your mouth. Yeah, that, that's why O'Brien likes MREs so much. It's just like a baked potato, <laughs> noodle casserole. Yeah, yeah, that's good head cannon, Adam. At this point, we should probably introduce uh, sort of our two main guest stars of the show. It's Kirby, who's sort of the younger hospital worker, and then there's Calandra, who's the lady doctor that runs the show down here. Yeah. And Kirby has befriended Jake uh, throughout. Calandra's sort of a more standoffish authority figure. She's the uh, she's the one that asks Bashir if he has any news from the front, because her colony here has been kind of cut off and isolated. There's uh, there's not a lot of news getting through, and uh, he describes some action involving the Rutledge and the Tecumseh. Says that uh, the captain of the Tecumseh is one of the best in the fleet to calm her down because her <laughs> husband is the science officer. No word on the captain of the Rutledge, whether that captain is any good or not. Ben, do you think when you're working out on the Tecumseh, you get a workout shirt that says "Come"? <laughs> <laughs> like like the discovery shirt that says disco. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
like the mission patch for the Tecumseh is just a, a sperm. It, the mission patch is just that emoji that's three droplets of water. What are you doing now? I think I understand why, uh, like, like, there are choices that Sirach Lofton makes in expressing the uh, the trauma that he's feeling in this circumstance. One of them is is uh, eating soup from long range. Did you notice this? <laughs> yeah, he's got the soup bowl, like, up over top of the other food that he has in front of him. <laughs> and then he's, like, he's reaching across his chicken thigh plate into the soup and then we run into this sometimes when we eat Korean barbecue. There, there's the stew on the table, and you're yeah. encouraged to like extend your arm out, dip your spoon into the stew, and then bring it back to your mouth without somehow spilling it on the table. It's insane. It's like Jake got a game for his PS4, and he's setting it up, and it's <laughs> Eat Food, the game. Yeah. <laughs> and it says, uh, how hard of an experience do you want this to be? And he just and he puts all the settings all the way to the top. <laughs> He wants to be on God mode. <laughs> One of the differences between Star Trek Field Hospital and any other Star Trek place, Ben, is the real pillows of a colony hospital. We get a scene where everyone's yeah. trying to sleep later, and Jake can't. He's still too fucked up. But real, what look like feather pillows down there. Looks really nice. Yeah. Look, look preferable, to be honest. It does, yeah. The, the, the gurneys also have nice pillows. Yeah. Like, the, the pillows are good. Jake's going to go back to DS9 and be like, what the fuck are these triangle pillows all about? <laughs> I was in a war zone and I was sleeping better than this. They had pillows that were four times this size. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You get used to a pillow of a certain size and then you change it up like this. You wake up with a, a really bad neck ache. I bet, yeah. I bet that would happen on, on Jake's end there. Yeah, I've really fucked myself in life because I like a, a really like firm... Yeah. Heavyweight pillow. Yeah. But then everywhere you go, every hotel has the thinnest, lightest pillows. Yeah, they're making you double it up, and that's not a good situation. No, I hate it. It's during this bunk bed scene that uh, the hospital is hit with some bangers, and it knocks out the power. That's a problem because everyone is on uh, kidney dialysis there. Yeah, they, they need the power to keep all these people alive that they're keeping alive, and there are... You know, portable generators exist, but they don't, you know, all the ones that the colony had are being used to keep the shields up. So Bashir and Jake realize that the runabout has its own generator and the, and everybody's like, what? You have a runabout? What the? Why didn't you tell us? We could be using that for air support. We could be we could be taking the fight to the Klingons. We could be extending the shields around the hospital. Yeah. You parked it a kilometer away? What? <laughs> That's the other insane thing. <laughs> it's so stupid. What are they doing? I feel yeah. like the scene that they cut out was Bashir teaching Jake to drive a shuttle. <laughs> and it's Jake's yeah. fault. Jake parallel parked, but it's like way too far from the curb. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so so the plan is hatched. They need the generator from the runabout, and so Jake and Bashir sneak out through a tunnel to get it. And as soon as they emerge from the tunnel, it is like all very gentle artillery fire. 
Yeah, the kind of artillery fire that uh, causes a small puff of dust and rocks to come out of the ground. Sort of like if you've ever filled a tennis ball with match heads when you were a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that is more explosive than what we're getting here out of these uh, artillery shells. Yeah, I mean, I would say that from a danger standpoint, these... These don't look great. I think that the sound design really helps. But yeah. also what helps is the fact that it's actually Siddig and Sirach uh, Lofton running around here. Like, there are a lot of shots that I think you would normally have stuntmen in. And they're really, like, setting off whatever this effect is near Jake and Bashir. So. And, and if given the choice, I would rather have it this way. Give me yeah. the real actors. Yeah, so this is pretty terrifying, and they don't seem to be able to get to cover. Bashir is like, all right, one one way or another, one of us is going to have to get that generator back to the hospital, so follow me, stay close, keep your head down. And basically no sooner has he said this than a, uh, a banger goes off and Jake just breaks for the hills. Yeah. It's not a good look for Jake Sisko. He panics. Yeah. He's not a soldier. Yeah, he's not a soldier. Like, this episode goes pretty deep on like his his feelings about what happens to him in this scene yeah but it made a lot of sense to me in the moment sure uh it doesn't jack up the melodrama like i you could feel like there might have been a scene less traveled that ends on bashir like reaching out for a jake that isn't there (laughs) Uh, but we stay with jake throughout and i think that's intentional and good like like this is not a scene about bashir at all and it never was because we're with jake the entire time yeah, I think, and crucially, we leave Bashir before we know what happened to him. So, right, you know, when Jake is walking around after this, you keep in your head that he, as far as he knows, Bashir got got blown apart in that onslaught. Right, as Jake staggers away, he he falls into a crater with a a surviving soldier, a a Federation guy, maybe the goalie for the Federation hockey team. He looked to me like he could have been Willem Dafoe's brother, like <laughs> like Frank Dafoe. I wrote down alcoholic Robert Redford. <laughs> <laughs> the soldier is definitely Lieutenant Tough Love. Sorry, kid. <coughs> Life doesn't work like that. <laughs> because uh, he has some lessons to teach young Jake about bravery and heroism. No kidding. He is He's badly blown apart and like, You know, he wants morphine. He wants Jake to uh, make sure that he doesn't die with his face uh, in the dirt. He wants to be facing the sky. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Jake is like, hey, why don't I see if I can carry you back to the hospital? And which is hilarious because this guy is clearly like 275 pounds if he's an ounce. And he's also like, hey, yeah, if I get up, all my guts will fall on your shoes. Yeah, this lieutenant is an absolute unit. There is no way, like, <laughs> soaking wet 140-pound Ciroc Lofton is going to fireman carry him out of this crater. Yeah, so yeah, he has to spend a a pretty harrowing last moments of this guy's life with him. Yeah. Gets a, a ketchup packet full of water from the guy, which is nice. Uh, if you needed a little bit of a, of a stress break, you get one here, because we cut back to the little D... And we get a little interregnum that includes Dax and Cisco just talking about Ben Cisco's worries for Jake. Yeah, Ben has really thrown himself into any work he can find for himself. He uh, he does not want to be alone with his thoughts. 
It's interesting that this scene takes place uh, in the engineering section of the Little D because it's the same place where Cisco disappeared in The Visitor. And it made me wonder, oh. like, uh, shouldn't Ben Cisco give the warp core kind of a wide berth? I, <laughs> I think I would. I wonder if that makes it like a special place for him, though. Yeah, that's interesting. That's some... had, like one of the most intense experiences with his son right there. That's r- some real like three dimensional callback chess, if if yeah. true. I wonder. This episode was directed by Kim Friedman, who uh, we've talked about before. I think from a directing standpoint, it's pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. Dax gets deep into her emotions in this scene. Yeah. Because she's talking about, like, previous hosts' children and how she comforted herself as, you know, by way of uh, offering Cisco some, you know, I've been there, I know what you're going through. Right. And uh, But you hate... (laughs) Uh, confiding your fears or your grief with someone and have them so ably crush you with their own in, <laughs> in order to find like common cause with you, like in order to like share that kind of currency. Like, yeah. Because Cisco's r- grief pales in comparison to what Dax has been through and always <laughs> will. Is it helping? No, not really. It's not a competition, but <laughs> you always lose when you're doing this with Dax. Yeah. Uh, back in the hospital, Jake has returned and uh, sort of mixed feelings about hearing the idea that Bashir has gotten there before him. Yeah, I thought this was such an interesting moment because Bashir, then, like, after the shelling started, Bashir got up, went and got the generator despite being super badly burned and, like, ba- badly burned enough that he's now in the ICU. Right. Uh, recovering from his burns, but managed to managed to lug this generator bag that he took Jake with him because he said it was a two man job. So Bashir did something that is like unambiguously super heroic, and I think that serves to further shame Jake for the fact that he ran away. At least I, it, it, within Jake's understanding of this of what's going on. What we couldn't have possibly known is that Bashir had a Popeye-like thermos of emergency field urine. <laughs> and as soon as he popped that baby open, oh, uh, yeah. he was ready to drag that that thing all the way back by himself. It's easily. Like a, it's, it's like a Gatorade commercial. Yeah. He's like pouring it down his, down his throat, <laughs> was splashing all over the place. He's getting it in his hair. <laughs> shaking it off in slow motion everything's black and white but it's just beads of yellow all over him emergency field urine (laughs) is it in you Uh, like Jake does that thing where he's like, "Oh, he's probably too busy or sleeping or whatever." Uh, I'll I'll just go back to the commissary and uh, and what's his name? Kirby's like, "No, man, no, he's awake. I just saw him. He really wants to see you." And uh, the meeting at the bedside does not go well. Enterprise, it is yeah awkward as hell. It's it's great also that Bashir was just as worried about Jake, like right. I like that they both didn't have any idea what happened to the other. It was a real smoke show. Like, that's the one thing you could say about all the mortar shells out there was that uh, it really did obscure a lot of the action. 
No. A lot of smoke. Not as many mirrors as you might like, but <laughs> Jake gets back to work, and uh, the first thing he does is deliver a meal to Ensign self-inflicted wound (laughs) and uh this guy is like thinking about what his life post starfleet is going to look like because he's obviously not made of the right stuff to be a a ground troop the way he is now and is thinking maybe he'll get into mining or something yeah asteroid mining something the future needs yeah whether or not they are the dictionary definition of this, it's two cowards bonding over their cowardice and their understanding of it. And whether it's or not... It's kind of like the it, whole premise of our podcast. Right. And how cur- incurable it might be going forward for them. I think, yeah. I think the scene is really powerful. Yeah. It's the scene that makes you understand how Jake got to the end of this episode, which is like... He derives some comfort in the fact that he can see something of what he went through in this soldier. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Fresh off of this interaction, Jake is in the commissary. And, you know, it's been implied before that people who work in this field hospital have a form of gallows humor that, you know, allows them to get through some of the pain of what they've been through. And Jake is not someone who prescribes to that idea he instead turns into the new guy lecturer that no one appreciates people are dying uh before bashir can remove him from the scene for his own good yeah the gallows humor is the way that everybody is kind of keeping themselves sane and jake really flips out on them and he's really virtue signaling here in a way that uh that no one likes i liked it (laughs) Bashir grabs him by the arm and and pulls him around the corner and he's like, look, man, you got to save that for Twitter, all right? (laughs) Um, You know, like this is the moment where Jake is going to potentially kind of confess his his cowardice to Bashir, right? Like the the, Bashir can see what's going on, that that Jake is, is is super conflicted inside. I really like that the episode had the restraint not to make that happen here. I thought for sure it would. Jake, yeah. Jake's doing that thing that goes like, I don't want to talk about it. And Bashir's like, just piss into my hands. <laughs> and Jake Jake is like, fuck you, man. I don't want to discuss it. And and like, I thought for sure that Bashir would get through to him and, and like break him down. But, but there's yeah. this is a scene without a resolution. No, it, the, the, it ends with Bashir kind of walking off and in disappointment and and Jake like huddling in the corner weeping. What I really and, like is that it's not manipulative. Like Bashir truly doesn't know what Jake did right out in the field and if he did it, I think it would make this scene not as good as it is. No, but also like a great scene for Sirach Lofton cuz he he gets real deep into into those feelings and it's super sad. Yeah. Time is really like clipping along here in this episode because like it feels like we've been down here a couple of days and then we get a next day in the field hospital and it's being shelled like the Klingons are on the doorstep shit's falling from the ceiling girders are coming down Ben you know what a bad sign that is yeah and we're Uh, getting maybe some of our best production work here like there are some panning shots with some like actual sequences of of actors 
like moving to different parts of the set and picking things up and setting them down and running and evacuating like and there's dialogue happening with both our primary characters and the background actors it's it's super complex what's going on and it's really well done yeah like each each one of these shots is going to take 10 takes to get it right just cuz yeah. of how many moving parts there are it feels like everyone has three things to do in every shot yeah and the camera is all handheld in here so it feels super chaotic like you're kind of almost a person's pov as they're right as they're escaping it's really rugged and we wind up with jake like cowering under a table in the commissary when klingon warriors come in and start shooting everybody and the two members of the Starfleet hockey team that are there with rifles buy it, and Jake winds up having to grab one of those rifles, and he licks a bunch of shots in the atmosphere. And uh, uh, we find out later what, what he's done is bring bring the ceiling down on the Klingon warriors, but also seal off the tunnel, making safe the evacuation for everyone else. I wish I didn't laugh in this scene. I'm just yeah. going to admit to you that I did. Like, there's something about it that was a little bit home alone with, <laughs> with accidentally shooting the ceiling and then dropping the rocks on the Klingons. I think the problem with it is almost that the action in the hospital evacuation stuff is so well done. And it's a different kind of action, but it's like it's complicated, like compound sequences with a bunch of stuff going on and different dialogue being exchanged. And then these Klingons walk in. They're not ducking behind anything. They're just shooting kind of badly. Like everybody's a stormtrooper here. Yeah. And Jake just waving the, the rifle around over his head seems goofy and bad. Do you think there was ever any thought given to a loss of innocence scene where it's down to one-on-one and Jake has to like stab a Klingon at close range and lose all of his innocence? I wondered if that's where it was going to go for sure. Yeah. Because that is one path you could see a script like this taking to making a character feel like they did something. But I'm I'm glad that they didn't go that way because I don't think that Jake would be able to deal with having taken a life, even in a context like this. And it's really consistent throughout the episode that Jake is just reacting to things. He's not making anything happen in his circumstances specifically. And I think that is a way to tell a war story like this uh, from the perspective of someone who is not a warrior. What I wish they had done is just have him holding the trigger down on that phaser rifle, like just wave it around once over the yeah over the over the table and and bring the ceiling down it's his 25th shot that brings the ceiling down not his first and i think that that's the mistake right yeah i agree but it's an easy mistake to make uh there's kind of an elliptical edit here because uh jake is knocked out at the end of this scene uh by the crashing rocks and when he comes to uh at his floor side is Cisco and Bashir, and they're showering praise on him for for his heroic actions in blocking the entrance to the cave and allowing the evacuation to continue. Yeah, it's an interesting scene. This is like when we go back to to voiceover, but this time the voiceover is the written piece that he, I guess, submitted to yeah. this journal at the end, and uh, and we get a little montage as we continue of 
Bashir and then Cisco like absorbing what they've read and uh and it turned you know like the the point Captain Cisco makes is that it's like really brave to like look inside yourself and share something this personal with a lot of people and that's sort of the the way Jake finds a path to redemption in this episode they cut away from the scene where Bashir's reading the story too early because if they had stuck with it, Bashir would have been like, oh, what the fuck, Jake, really? <laughs> you left me out there to die? <laughs> uh, like, it's, that's not to say that Ben Sisko's feelings are any less significant, but like there were two people down there and Ben wasn't one of them, you know? This seems like such a great table-setting episode for a future Jake and Dr. Bashir story, and they, there's not even a hint of that at the end. Yeah, I, I found that surprising. But we get a proud dad button on the episode, and... I mean, the very last shot, I really want to talk about it before we're done. That Jake smile at the end, I didn't like it. I don't want to end on that tone. Like, I know this might be a show and a time where it's incapable of ending on a dark note, but Bashir got a dark note a couple episodes ago when he was continuing to work on the cure for for that illness on that planet, you know? Like, this show can end sad, and I think think it's okay to allow Jake to be sad and fucked up at the end of this. I think the smile suggests that he's okay immediately. And I don't think that that's fair to his character. Yeah, I mean, I think that they, I think that the, like, the feeling on this show is that this always, like, this relationship always has to have super positive overtones. Right, yeah. It is a Ben and Jake thing, isn't it? On a show where a lot less is reliable than TNG, like that, I feel like they hew really carefully toward keeping that reliable. Yeah. Um... But I do agree that it uh, maybe isn't a perfect choice in this instance. You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it! Maybe some mixed feelings on the ending, but did you like the episode as a whole, Ben? I did. I felt like it was, uh, it was a really interesting episode. I am sort of am confused about what the status of the war with the Klingons is at this yeah. point. Um, but... I liked how much detail it gives you about how the world works. Like, they talk about transporter scramblers and hoppers, and, like, mm-hmm. you just, like, these are just things that are kind of, like, tossed off as references, but give a ton of texture to to the w- way the world works. Yeah, and give me all the jargon. Yeah, I really liked that. Yeah, I did, too. Yeah, I mean, outside of expecting it to be harder than it was, it was a really strong episode and super competently directed. Yeah. Uh, really well done and complex. Like as a as a production challenge, with a number of locations, uh, and mixing exterior, interior, and the station. Like a ton of extras, a ton of speaking parts to characters that we've never met before. Like this show had a week to make an episode, and this just seems like one of the harder weeks you could get yeah. if you're drawing your episode to direct. Really well done by Kim Friedman. I liked it. You know what I also what I also like, Adam. Though, <laughs> what's that, Ben? I like P1s. <laughs> All right, let's see what we got in the box. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income. Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. 
By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is of a commercial nature. Right on. Goes like this. Mark from Broad Electrolyte Vitamins here. <laughs> a few months ago, a bunch of friends hit me up telling me that the hosts of this big time Star Trek podcast that they listened to were talking about Broads right in the middle of the show. They sent me the link. To my complete surprise, it was all true. So I wanted to send Adam and Ben a big shout out for the mention and give you a discount code that you can share with your listeners. Appreciate it, guys. Keep it up. Wow. Fuck. This guy has kept us both alive. <laughs> he really has. Wow. What can we say about the Broad Electrolyte Vitamin? I'll say it got me through several hoofs in, in Las Vegas. I was drinking I was drinking hurricanes like starting at 10 a.m. All day hurricane drinking, no hangover. That's the thing about the Broad, is that you end up better than you deserve after abusing yourself with the alcoholic beverages. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't drinking like a crazy amount, but something like that that's got a lot of sugar, it, it right. does, it is liable to, to mess up your next day. It really and, helps. Uh, this is a an electrolyte vitamin that uh, it kind of replenishes the things that that's taken out of you. It's a really big vitamin shot if you look at the ingredients. I will say that both you and I have been taking Broad before we do live shows, before we do any sort of social drinking. I know I will take one uh, before I begin and before I go to bed, and it really helps me feel a lot better after making decisions that way. The birthday trip that you had this year. <laughs> yeah. We had like, there were like six couples and uh, enjoying a beach house in Mexico. And somebody, I, I don't know if this is you or one of your friends, but somebody brought like the, the, the retail display case version of Broad. Yeah. <laughs> so there were just like zillions of them available to... <laughs> to consume <laughs> yeah uh, my buddy phil was the first person to suggest this uh product to me and from then on i've been taking them fairly often really a lifesaver in a lot of ways a couple of different uses for them i mean i will take one at times when you feel like you will be dehydrated like before you get on a long air airplane flight that is also another time where i take broad yeah and uh it it's really good in that regard too uh to find out more about broad they do have a handy website. Yeah, you visit broad.co and use the code buy one get one where the one is a number. Buy that's so it's buy number one get number one to get two 10 packs for the price of one. Uh, like anything else you put in your body, Ben and I want to be sure to tell you that uh, you should probably consult a doctor before taking any medicine or supplement. That should go without saying, but we need to say it. But uh, we have both had great experiences with Broad, and uh, if you think it might work for you, look into it. Our thanks to Broad. Wow, Broad. Broad and Mark from Broad. That's so great. <laughs> Sneaking into our P1s. Ben, our second priority one message is for Malk and Kristar Shrimp Kolgar. The message is from Mike. Don't they, don't these guys usually communicate on the greatest discovery? Yeah, I think they do. Now, I should I should be clear. The shrimp is in all caps in the Kristar Shrimp Kolgar verse. Oh, yeah. So it's yelled. Uh, and the message goes like this. 
Hmm. Blank message. Wow. You know what that means? New record for shortest P1. <laughs> A record that will never be broken. Yeah. Damn, Mike got there first. Yeah, he did. I guess I guess you could put a a minus in front of a, a character and, and we could go into the negatives. That's gotta really feel cold for Mock and Chris Jar Shrimp Colgar, right? To j- just be you know, have Mike staring silently at them from across the void. Mike uh talking into a dead phone. <laughs> Pretty threatening if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Well, if you'd like to threaten your friends or uh, give a great discount code to your beloved vitamins, uh, you know what to do. You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Both of which go a long, long way in keeping us hangover free and helping with the ongoing production of this show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, uh, I love a React. Uh-huh. I mean, I think the React I love the most is the Keenan React from mm-hmm. SNL. That's that's my my number one on my on my Mount React more. <laughs> it's Keenan up there, but for this episode, Kira and Dax react to Quark's rental womb line in in an almost Keenan fashion, and they react simultaneously in a way that I just loved. If they wow. were to stick, if if we were to hang on to the scene a little bit more, I feel like Quark was going to get his ass kicked. But as it was, <laughs> we get a quick react, and then we're on to the next. Yeah, uh, pretty serious episode, but a very fun moment from the both of them. So, uh, a shared drunk Shimoda for Kira and Dax. What about you? I, I love it. Man, I was going to give it to Jake for not picking up that disruptor when he fell on the Klingon, just as a, like, hey, I'm running around a war zone, maybe I should get a pistol. Uh-huh. But I think I'm going to give it to that Bolian for being Francis Buxton. Gotta do that. Yeah. Gotta do it. <laughs> I mean, what other... You're never going to get another opportunity to give a Shimoda to Francis Buxton. No. That's... Buxton. Yeah. No, you are, but what am I? It's so great. Gotta get that. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? 
especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Do we have another great guest star filled episode for the next episode of The Greatest Generation, Ben? Uh, let's see. The next episode is season five, episode five, The Assignment. A strange entity takes over Keiko's body and orders O'Brien to complete a secret assignment, or his wife will be killed. That just sounds like husband-wife stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me. Yeah, nothing to worry about here. Why don't uh, we see how we're going to watch it? That's a great thing to do. Just heading over to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes. The will of the prophets. And uh, currently we are on the fuck it, we'll do it live square. The uh, <laughs> potentially erstwhile fuck it, we'll do it live square. Yeah. Where last one. Do you really think that's the last one? I don't know. We should probably just be in the same room from now on and like turn it into a yeah, into looking at each other during or something. I kind of feel like there's a way to solve this puzzle, but I don't know. Do you want to read all those emails? No. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> you make a good point. All right. I would like to be able to do it too, but it's a fucking pain in the ass. It really is. 
I have the dice in my hands, Adam. Uh, I'm getting ready to roll these puppies. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We got to go to the airport, Ben. I don't know if we got time for this roll. Uh, well, <laughs> if uh, if I walk away from the table now, I'll uh, never be invited back to Las Vegas. <laughs> Only thing we could potentially hit right now is a Quark's bar. So. Yeah. Here we go. I've rolled a five. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Whoa, Which, right on uh, the doorstep. Puts us on the doorstep of that Quark's bar. But does not quite get us onto that Quark's bar. Thought for sure you'd hit it. I kind of did too. I, I'm surprised I didn't. I felt that spooky feeling of clairvoyance, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. Well, there it is. Regular there episode. It, there it goes. An episode Oops. that a technical problem could not possibly destroy... Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. We will uh, see you next week with that episode. You know who we also see, Ben? Hmm. We see the people going to MaximumFun.org slash donate, making the show possible with a monthly contribution. We see those people. We see them, and we appreciate them. A couple of free ways to support the show include uh, giving a five-thing rating on your podcatcher, maybe sharing the love of the show on your on your social medias, maybe, uh, maybe joining one of our myriad Facebook clubs that have cropped up about the show. Uh, when we were in Star Trek Las Vegas, we met some people who belonged to like 10 of them. Yeah. Amazing. The greatest gen group for every interest. Yeah. We also saw a lot of t-shirts yeah. from the uh, Max Fun Store out in Star Trek Las Vegas. Uh, if you'd like to support us through our merch op- offerings, you can certainly do that right now. It's maxfunstore.com. Uh, we got the Kern shirt, we got the Femmes of DeSoto shirt, still got the West Hot American Summer shirt, always a classic. We got the Hood hoodie. Yeah, we saw a Hood hoodie in Vegas, that was fun. Yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, get on that Kern shirt, uh, Tapatico's having a hard time keeping that one in stock. It's selling like hot cakes. My favorite part of staying in a Holiday Inn is the <laughs> Continental Breakfast and Pancake Machine. I'm trying to cut carbs, but this is a vacation, so I'll treat myself. I just can't resist turning the pancake over on the crank machine. (laughs) Uh, You and I both love the music on this show. You know where that comes from. It's Adam Ragusea spinning the ones and the twos, uh, grabbing grabbing the vinyl records from Dark Materia, crossfading them together into a, a brand new piece of music. Yeah, you know what this is? Is that is that like dark materia rummaging in a crate? Pulls mm-hmm. a record out and hands it to Adam Ragusea, who's got like one headphone up off off his yeah. ear, but the other one on, and uh, and he accepts the record and he <laughs> inspects the label and just gives a knowing nod to dark materia. Yeah, you know that request didn't come from the dance floor. Yeah, that's a that's a hot record. Uh. Comedy cards from come from our pal Bill Tilly at BillTilly1973 on Twitter. Those are great. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great and technically perfect episode of Star Trek <laughs> Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which just seems like normal husband and wife stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you give him some privacy? <laughs> Is that-
they can work this out. Yeah. Who's alone? <laughs> this doesn't involve you. It's none of your fucking business, okay? <laughs> this is their marriage. You can't possibly know the truth of someone else's relationship unless you're living it. Yeah, this is like, this is two adults that have <laughs> merged their lives and like the conversations they have in private, you don't know anything about, okay? Look, so It's hard. It's hard to maintain a relationship. You know what? Marriage is work. It's a choice you make every day. Yeah, truly you recommit is. yourself every single fucking... All right. <laughs> I'm hitting step. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.